0: Welcome to the Scotland's Choice podcast. The journey to our referendum is underway. So join us as we discuss how together we can build a fairer, a more equal and a more prosperous Scotland. Our goal is to ensure that our listeners are informed, that they're encouraged to get involved and will hopefully inspire others to think about the possibilities for Scotland because.
1: As our country renews, we need to choose our own future
2: before somebody else Chooses it
0: for us. I'm your host, Drew Hendry MP, and in this episode, I'm joined again by a first round table of activists Marcus Carslaw, Danielle Nicholson, and Alan Dalyell. If you haven't already listened to the first part of this conversation, you can find it in episode 28. So let's now rejoin our activists. Marcus, Daddy was talking about trust there and, and led into online uh, campaigning. We, li- we live in an age of misinformation. Uh, uh, particularly online, it's very easy for uh, things to to get out there. And with the old saying that uh, a lies halfway around the world before the truth's got its boots on, um, we we saw during the twenty fourteen referendum how this started to seep into the debate. How can we be aware of this now, and how can we work to combat that in the forthcoming referendum? Yeah, so
3: you're, you're definitely right. In twenty fourteen, there's a lot of misinformation um, and really bad faith arguments put out there. Um, so I think social media has a part to play in this in that I think in 2014, the newspapers weren't really on our side and I think we got a better shout, a better hearing online. Um, and that was a good thing. But I think going forward, there's going to be a lot of misinformation by, by probably both sides, let's face it. Um, so how can we spot that? Well, I think this is maybe a bigger question than we can do in a podcast, but I think this needs to start like, at school age. when you can teach people about social media and disinformation um, but during the referendum, I would really like to see some sort of independent body, you know, independent of both the Scottish government and the UK government, step in and monitor disinformation and maybe try flag it up. So people, if they see a post and they think, "Oh, there's no way that that can be true, that this body could step in and say, well, actually, it's not true. It's disinformation. It's lies. It's up there to get everyone riled up. Um, I hope that's a thing in the next referendum, because um, mm-hmm. that would be really helpful. Because in 2014, there was quite a lot of misinformation bouncing about and then it's not even someone puts a tweet out that's not true someone takes that tweet and tweaks it slightly so it's even less true or it's even more fictitious and it just this cycle repeats so we definitely need to get good at spotting disinformation yeah. and retweeting it and saying actually this is false and here's why it's false here's the facts that counter that counter this this narrative
0: it's really important alan for everybody to get involved in uh, countering misinformation and disinformation isn't it
2: yeah, definitely. Uh, what I particularly like about the, the Yes Campaigns website is that whenever there are um, statements made which are proved to be false or statements from the Yes side that are given, the the reference where the evidence is coming from, mm-hmm. so you can click on a link and see exactly what was said at what given time, so that's very useful, uh, but not everybody is going to be online or able to get that. so. Uh, replicate it into print form, put it around uh, the houses if uh, you identify there's a a particular uh, bad piece of information that's resonating um, to to make sure that everybody uh, understands that it's untrue. Um, To be fair, there are quite a few fact-checkers these days with like Ferret, uh, Channel 4 News and other media outlets who who will call into question uh, whether something is true or not. So it's very important to keep an eye on uh, anything that's disingenuous or completely conflated, to make sure that people can make uh, an informed decision and evidence-based decision about uh, how they're going to vote at the, the referendum.
0: And, and to come back to what this podcast is all about, actually getting out there first and uh, getting the, the, the facts across on the doorsteps and other ways Uh, to get across is even more important because that way you get ahead of the and disinformation that comes out too. I want to come back to uh, 2014. There were many that argued that the Yes campaign uh, lacked definitive answers to some of the most common uh, questions that were asked. How, How do we avoid this in the forthcoming campaign and what issues do you feel that we need to work on first? I'll start with you Alan and then come to Danny
2: yeah i think uh, that was one of the the main challenges in the last campaign where people wanted to know absolute facts about what things were going to be happening in two years five years ten years time we had a white paper a very mm-hmm. detailed white paper um however you look at the brexit campaign which uh won a majority in the uk certainly not in scotland uh, or northern ireland but um, you know, there wasn't much detail in that campaign, mm-hmm. but of course, people in Scotland, because they've been much more aligned with the political debate, they're, they're more informed.
0: Indeed, yeah. There is, uh, there is, as Danny said earlier. I think there's more of a kind of educated, engaged uh, yeah. kind of population out there. Danny, you know, in terms of some of those arguments, what was your thought?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think. To be honest, I would agree. I think there were some things that we focused on too singularly, let me say it like that. I mean, if, if we take the, the, the economy as one and it was a huge issue and on, on the issue of finances as well and, and what money we were going to use, it was a big, big debate. Um, you know, I still go to people's doors who go, you didn't answer the question or like I wasn't clear what, what the answer to that question was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember one of the, the main things that was always put out in the media was about oil. And, um, you know, we are a country rich with oil resources. But I remember in 2014 and now, obviously, in my time of working in politics over the last six years, I know that Scotland has oil course it does, but it's a lot more than oil. And I feel like we focused a lot of our, you know, um, economic arguments on you know the resource of oil. I mean, we have some amazing sectors out there. You know, tourism, our food, food and drink um, sectors, just as an example, which also contribute to Scotland's economy. And I think. If you know, in the next referendum, I think we need to really branch out and and show just how diverse a country we are, the different areas that that we contribute to different things as well. And don't focus so much on these, going back into old arguments. You know, I would hate for us to go into a second independence referendum and for us to sit and argue about oil again. And, you know, it, it just would be so soul destroying because I think, you know, now that we have a more politically engaged public, Um, We do know that we are a lot more than oil or um, all these kind of things as well. So I would hope in the future that we can maybe do a bit more on promoting some of the other areas of Scotland's economy.
0: Marcus, do you feel we have more defined answers now for uh, some of the issues that are going to be raised?
3: Yeah, definitely. So in 2014, I think the Yes campaign sort of Achilles heel was currency. Um, But now with the Scottish Growth Commission, the the answer is definitive, we're going to keep using the pound until such a point where it's judged to be our benefit to launch our own currency. That's a good answer in the door that works people like that. And it's also backed up by the economics, it's it's a good policy. So I think there's been a lot of work done um, improving the perspectives for independence. Um, I think the next referendum will have to be more nuanced, because the situation that happened in 2014 is completely different now. Scotland's outside the EU, and that's not of our choosing, but that's how it is. Um, The whole world economy has been turned upside down with COVID. So I think our arguments are going to have to be very nuanced. But I think, as both other guests were saying, that since 2014, the electorate in Scotland is so engaged with politics that I I think a nuanced argument is good, because the electorate will engage with it. It doesn't have to be simplified. Um, Policies can have many different aspects. And we also have to be quite honest. We don't want to be Brexiteers. We want to be upfront about this. There's going to be benefits to independence. There'll probably also be negatives. And we have to set out what those negatives are and what we're going to do to try sort of counter those negatives and then say, but on the balance of things, we think that independence is better than staying Mm. in the union. And I think that nuanced argument, truthful about some of the negative aspects, you know, realistic about the positive aspects, I think the electorate actually like that sort of realism, because you've seen it with Nicola Sturgeon during Covid, yeah. anytime there was any mistakes made, the Scottish government held their hands up and says, okay, we didn't get this quite right, here's how we're going to fix it. And the electorate respond to that far more than they do some sort of utopian picture of, you know, milk and honey.
0: It, it was quite, a, what you were talking about, there was quite a risky move. It's not common in politics to admit that there have been mistakes made. It never happens at Westminster um, when i was saying that. Alan, you, you want to, to say something on that as well?
2: Yeah, it's um, when people want absolute facts and absolute guarantees, well, sorry, in life, there we, we cannot guarantee exactly what's going to happen in one year, two year, five year, ten years' time. So I think we, we need to be honest with people that there is a risk. Things might not go great right away. It might take a bit of time to actually get to where we want to go. But the absolute um, principle of decisions being made by the people of Scotland in Scotland, that uh, is like the antidote to the the risk which we have. We've seen uh, with Brexit, it's an absolute catastrophe. We're only at the beginning of it. uh, And in the future, then, well, uh, whatever risks come along, they can't be as horrific. It's what we're beginning to experience under well, that, Brexit. That, That's
0: right, isn't it? It's really important to uh, underline that, that the uncertainties of staying in the UK under Westminster control far outweigh the uncertainties that we would have of taking control of our own affairs, as we've seen that it's just criminal damage that's being wrought upon Scotland's economy and people uh, throughout this Brexit process that we didn't vote for. Um, we overwhelmingly voted against that. So let's talk about some of the opportunities. Independence offers us uh many opportunities. One one of them, and Marcus touched on uh you know having better politics earlier, one of one of them is about our electoral processes in the future, how right? we elect our parliaments and hold uh you know, votes and things like that in the future. Which changes would you like to see to campaigning rules and regulations to provide uh, a fairer system during elections to what we have at the moment. Danny, what would you what would you like to see change?
1: Well, I think um, I think as I touched on earlier, if we're going forward into the the next referendum, I, I really want us to kind of not fall back into the old arguments that were portrayed before. I think we have had the opportunity over the last few years to really um, see what works. Uh, with campaigns, and we've had too many, if I'm honest, too many elections and referendums <laughs> in the last few years. And I'm sure the other guests will agree that your my feet are still recovering
0: from <laughs>
1: a few of them. Um, I think I think we know now what works. We know having conversations on the doors work. We we know that there's misinformation out there. We we know that. Um, Really, like looking at uh, different demographics and groups and listening to their concerns and making sure we address that is important, so i think I think we've had the kind of things that we know what works in elections now we we know what we need to nail on the head, so I think going forward as a movement, I would really like to see some some kind of good leadership around taking the positives around the the campaigns that we have won. Over the last few years, and starting to implement that, so that we're ready for the next independence referendum, and we're ahead of the game on a lot of things. I I think, as they say, is it uh, planning to was it prepare for planning or something? You're you're going to fail if you don't basically prepare. So we've just got to make sure that we're ready to go. And um, I think we've got a lot of the things nailed now, and we've seen we've you know if you look at the SNP for example, they they've done really really well actually. Over the last few years, we've won lots of different campaigns, um, and I think if we if we really start implementing all these different things, we're on a good start.
0: You you're talking about the number of elections. I personally I've had to fight three elections in the space of five years. So I know exactly what you mean. But that was Westminster at the root of that. Uh, Marcus, what what would you like to see in terms of the changes to the future? You brought up the subject of you know having better scrutiny earlier. What would you like to see?
3: Yeah, so I think. Um, it was the most recent Hollywood election. It was a, a record turnout, and like, that's that's a really good thing. So I think historically, Scottish Parliament elections have always had a lower turnout than Westminster, but that's changing. We're slowly catching up. I think it, the turnout was really high in, um, in May this year at the 2021 election. That was good. But something that I'd like to see, that's just a personal preference, I would really like to see Election Day become a bank holiday to get mm-hmm. turnout out. That happens in quite a few countries, and it's normal where it becomes... You know, everyone gets the day off, everyone goes in to vote, you vote, and that pushes turnout up. Because I think whether it helps or hurts the SNP or the independence cause, the maximum amount of people that we can get out voting is a good thing. It's a healthy thing in democracy. Mm. That's what I'd like to change.
0: Indeed. Alan, what, what are your thoughts? Would you like to see any uh, anything in, in an independent Scotland with the, the ability to kind of run our own elections in a, in a fairer way? What would you like to see?
2: Um, Yeah, it's been spoken about for many years now, about making it as easy as possible for people to vote. And well, as we've seen through the the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, you know, the Westminster and Holyrood, they both made it easier for MPs and MSPs to vote remotely. I'd like to see the opportunity for us as citizens being able to vote from home on our laptops, on our phones, um, or if we don't have the technology, um still be able to like uh, do it electronically uh, at the uh, at the ballot box. Um, so yeah, I think we should make it much, much easier for people to vote so that if they've got childcare issues or they're working mm. several jobs or they're ill or they've got other uh, things that are stopping them from actually getting out on, on the day, or borrow some ideas from other countries where they don't actually have it on one specific day, maybe spread it out over three or four, but yeah, uh, if there are any changes, I, I think we should, that's the one thing we should do, is make it much, much easier
0: for people to vote. Okay, the, the, um, you know we, we've held the campaign, we've uh, run a great campaign, we've managed to get the vote over the line, we've gone forward and we've become an independent country. What's, uh, if you were in charge of that, what's the one policy um, that you would like to implement? What's the one change that you would uh, look to make? I'll start with you, Marcus.
3: Yeah, so if I, if I had one policy and only one, it would be a written constitution. Because I'm sure you'll agree, if we've been down Westminster, not having rules by which the game is played makes everything so chaotic. We've seen it with Brexit. Parliament got prorogued. The Prime Minister lied to the Queen. Then Parliament got recalled, and then there's court cases bouncing back and forth. That's that's so chaotic. I was yeah. like, let's have some you know rules that are written down. Everyone follows them. That's how politics is done. I think that would just be so much better for politics in general. And I don't know, even as someone who's quite into politics and keeps up with the news, even during the Brexit debate, I was like, what is this all about? I was struggling to keep up. So yeah, let's let's make it simpler with some rules and a constitution.
0: Okay. And Danny, you're in charge of an independent Scotland. What's the one policy you'd like to bring in?
1: Um, I would be really excited about having full powers over our immigration and um, particularly living rurally and, and, you know, living, working and studying in the Highlands, um, I've felt the effects of the clearances that happened generations ago still. And, uh, you know, the the clear fact, you know, living here is that I know we need people to come and live in our communities. We we need them to come and work here, support um, our different sectors, but also we want to welcome these people. And I have been so disgusted by the UK government's policy on immigration, especially uh, during the Brexit debate as well over the last few years. Um, and one of the things i would be so excited about is Scotland having its own powers to really make sure that rural areas aren't left behind, but also our citizens here who are part of our country, who contribute to it, and uh, call Scotland their home, uh, feel welcomed in their home as well.
0: And Alan, you're sitting around the cabinet table in charge of your first uh, government in uh, independent Scotland. What's your policy? What's your, your key policy you're going to bring in?
2: Well, it's a, a well-established policy uh, within the SNP and uh, it's got a lot of support within the, the wider Yes movement. And that is getting rid of nuclear weapons from Faslane, uh, It's under 30 miles uh, from where I live. Uh, They're just a complete and utter waste of money. They're completely immoral. Uh, I think it would send out uh, a positive message around the world, and with the the savings that we would make from um, not having to spend money on weapons of mass destruction, I would be properly exploring universal basic income, and in particular the minimum income guarantee to make sure that we give a proper social security safety net for every citizen of our country so that they don't have to fear Uh, any catastrophe that they might have in their life, whether it's illness or disability or um, being out of work for for any length of time.
0: I love your ambition. That was two policies you came in with, but I'll let you away with that. But I think all of those uh, demonstrate the opportunity for an independent Scotland because all of those things are things that we should have control over. And if we did, I think everybody would agree that we'd make better choices for Scotland. Can I thank you, Marcus, uh, Danny, and Alan for taking part in this Scotland's Choice podcast today. Everything you've just listened to was recorded a few weeks ago. I wanted to catch up with Marcus, Danny and Alan after the SNP's national conference and put a couple of final points to them and to hear their opinions on them. So here's what they had to say. We're just having a quick update now after the SNP conference, which uh, as we're recording just now has just uh, ended uh, with a fantastic speech from our First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon. Uh, setting forth what we're going to do differently to Westminster, including the uh, announcement that doubling the child payment is going to come forward uh, and be done quickly to try and mitigate again some of the effects of the cuts, such as the universal credit cut of £20 a week. These are things that we're doing in Scotland. But also there was a theme about... Um, you know, what Westminster is doing to cause harm to democracy, both in the UK and especially in Scotland, through things like the Internal Market Bill. But the overriding uh, aspect of the conference was about activists, about people in branches uh, contributing to policy. Marcus, starting with you, how has the SNP conference shown that activists are heard and listened to?
3: Also, over the past four days, there's been many motions and um, debates that came in from local branches. Those motions were worked on by the activists in their branches. So, like, the, the one that springs to mind was the, the Independent Scottish Civil Service and how it's now party policy because it passed that civil service jobs in Independent Scotland would be in different local authority areas according to their population size. So that stops all the jobs hoarded in sort of Edinburgh, as currently is in London with civil service jobs. And that came from a branch that started as an idea in a branch. that was put forward to conference. They knocked it back. It was finessed a bit by the branch. The wording was improved. Then it was debated and passed a conference so it's membership to make policy in the snp
0: and danny that um that ability for uh, members in the branches to to get policy adopted for it to become real for it to get uh, enshrined in our manifestos going forward and indeed in government policy is really important isn't it and you know you're somebody who's been involved in uh, local branches for a considerable period of time you've seen this many times over and over haven't you were. Uh, individuals are able to come up with an idea which shapes the policy that's put forward as a party.
1: Yeah, and I think I think that's kind of like the the exciting part of being part of a party like that, where you can really influence policy and and put your own ideas out there. And what we've seen today from, uh, you know, the, the last speech from conference done by the First Minister, it just really shows the potential of independence. It's like, here's what we're doing with the powers we have right now. Imagine the potential we could have with all of us putting in policy ideas that we kind of build from the ground up with full powers. And I think that's the beauty of independence. It's all the potential that's out there for us.
0: And, and that theme of um, the power and the ability for people to have an influence in their life was very strong in the First Minister's speech when she was talking about you know things as, as I've referred to, like the, the Tories introducing the Internal Market Act to, uh, you know to take away the powers of devolution. People in Scotland having their choice, their say on their own future is absolutely vital, and and that's really important. In a party like the SNP, where activists are really taken seriously in the ways that we've just described, Alan, what do you think that that's a motivating factor for people that want to get out on the streets and uh, and campaign for independence?
2: Yeah, definitely, because um, it's only through independence. Well, the priorities for our communities, the length and breadth of Scotland. Well, we actually, when we have the powers to make the changes, that will be the the defining point for our country to be able to have our citizens empowered to shape the country the way we'd want it to, instead of having to look over our shoulders constantly at uh, decisions made by politicians that we just don't elect, Westminster Tories. And yeah, I think that's a major motivating factor for people to get out and campaign for independence to make sure that we have the full complement of powers at uh, Holyrood and not having to uh, consider the views of people that have not got the same priorities as we do.
0: And Alan, that, that, that opportunity for people to go out and campaign is, is now, is available there now because there's actually a, a national newspaper drop, and which is a fantastic effort to put uh, real information on Scotland's future through the letterboxes of a million homes. Without activists, that wouldn't be possible. Is that a strength of our movement? And. Can the the people who oppose independence, can they match that?
2: Well, it's certainly a very, very uh, big strength for the independence movement to have so many activists the length and breadth of Scotland in every community. So thankfully, we are able to get out in our dozens on uh, quite regular occurrences to deliver information to make sure people can make informed choices about the future for the country. And certainly, there will be... uh, campaigning groups from our opponents, uh, those that are in favour of the union, but they're just not in the same numbers as what we are. Or they may be campaigning in different ways. They might be using uh, maybe telephone canvassing, but they're very rarely out in the doorsteps to the, the same extent that we are. And that's a very big positive for us. And the more people that can get involved, the stronger we will be in our campaign for independence.
0: Danny, that's right, isn't it? You know, people seeing... Uh, our activists out and the doorsteps out in the the street with getting the message to people directly is a is a a real strength that we need to capitalize is this a good a good time to give a rallying call to people to uh, to get behind the the effort that's required to persuade those uh, final kind of no soft no voters that uh, that the future is much much better with we are taking control of our own destiny
1: yeah, I think there's kinda of like two big points there. It's it's the strength of our party that we've always had a great um base of activists that um you know up up and down the country. What I've found in, in previous campaigns is that, you know, the the parties will usually throw money at their campaign, um lots and lots of money, whereas um our, our biggest strength has always come from our activists and how many like normal people we just out, have out having conversations with people on the doors. Um, And I think now is the time and people much prefer and actually appreciate having a conversation with somebody at their door outside of an election time. Sometimes if you're knocking the door at an election time, they're like, oh, well, you just want my vote. Now would be the time because they're like, "Okay, you really care about something and want to come speak to me about it. Now is the time to be having these conversations with softer voters who might be on the fence or undecided at the moment.
0: And and the timing, Marcus, is really important, isn't it? You know, it, we we've heard from the first minister about the legislation going through to make sure that there's a referendum in uh, twenty twenty three. Your know, activists are absolutely vital and this initiative. Is a really good start.
3: Yeah, definitely. So it was a manifesto commitment by the end of twenty twenty three. That's going to go ahead, um, code permitting. Hopefully, fingers crossed. But that means we've got about a year and a half to prepare and get out there and. At the end of the day, if, if the unionist know it's going to be a referendum eventually, they're going to be campaigning. They already are. If you look on Facebook and Instagram, you'll see ads from the UK government and pro-union campaign groups, so they know it's coming. They're campaigning, so we should be out there as well and trying to counter that. And I think, given a year and a half, I think we can build a lot more support on the current 50% that we've got.
0: Finally, uh, Danny, what would you say to anybody wanting to get involved with campaigning for independence but just isn't sure how to go about it?
1: Um, get in touch with uh, with the SMP if, if it's something that you're you're really keen on doing, and you'll be put in touch with somebody straight away. Um, I can tell you, there's going to be no organizer at any branch level who's not going to accept help right now. Um, As <laughs> somebody who has done that and hounded people to come out and help on the doors, I can tell you, it's always appreciated having involved. Get in touch with somebody um, who's involved with the party. Um, maybe it's somebody that you know, and I'm sure that they'll put you in touch with the right people. And um, There's plenty of good folk out there, and if you're a bit nervous about doing it, go and do it. You'll be buddied up with somebody on your first time. And honestly, you'd have a great time. It's good crack out in the doors as well.
0: And Marcus, what would your advice be on the same subject? I think something that held me back for a long
3: time was this I said, campaigning was knocking someone's door. And trying to, you know, debate with them. It's not like that. There's many ways to campaign. And that helped me back from getting active for a long time. So it's not always knocking doors and, you know, having someone disagree with you. And so get involved and slowly build up to that if that's what you want to do. And you can help out in the back, whether it's folding newspapers, you know, stuffing envelopes. So there's lots of ways to get involved and it's a really good way to meet new people as well.
0: And Alan, what would you finally? What would your advice be for uh, people who want to get involved in campaigning, but as I say, they, they've, they've just not sure what to do. What would you say? Yeah,
2: just uh, like the others have said, just make contact with the SNP or a local Yes hub. You will get a very, very warm welcome. Uh, you will be getting shown the ropes. If you find that you're not comfortable with doing something in particular, that's absolutely fine. No one will force you to do it. You might uh, find that if you're buddying up with someone and shadowing somebody for a day or two, then you begin to learn that it's not as difficult as you might have thought it was. And yeah, just crack on from there and uh, you'll have a lot of fun and help us towards
0: uh, achieving independence along the way. Well, thank you all very much for this, uh, taking part in this update after the uh, conference has concluded. We all must go and be good activists. So I'm going to say goodbye to you now so we can all get out there and do that work. Take care. Thanks, Joe. Well, thanks again to all three of the activists for taking part. It's clear that the independence movement is in safe hands, not just with the leadership, but with the folk in the ground all over the country, just like the guests you've just heard from. If you've listened to these activism episodes and think you have something to add to the conversation, please email in at podcast at scotlandschoice.scot to be considered for future episodes. Thanks for listening and don't forget you can find new and previous episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot. If you can share this podcast, it can help others with their decision on Scotland's future. I'm Drew Hendry and I hope you'll join me next time on Scotland's Choice.